Thank you, Sam. Incredible what we're, thank you. It's incredible what we're uh, seeing tonight and experiencing as, as churches. Uh, this is not real common today uh, to see uh, churches sending out uh, labors that have been prepared for him to, uh, to start other works. Uh, it's, uh, it's very uncommon. And so uh, consider yourselves very, very blessed to be a part of this. Um, we, uh, and you know, I, I understand the tears, uh, Sam, because we recently uh, sent out a couple of pastors from Bogota. Uh, one pastor, uh, he's been the pastor of discipleship uh, for many years, is now going to Caracas, Venezuela. Uh, and then uh, the other man, uh, his name is Sigi, uh, he's been the pastor of the university group, is going to Madrid, Madrid Spain. And there were, there were many, many tears, and especially on my part, because uh, Franklin, the guy that is going to Venezuela, uh, arrived at our church when he was approximately 12 years of age, and uh, really basically didn't have a father uh, that he knew anyway, uh, and I became his father. And so there were, were many, many tears. Uh, but, but at the same time, we understand that uh, uh, these are our tears of joy. But you know, I got to thinking when I saw you crying, and then, then you know, and I cried when you know we sent them out. And and uh, but when I left TBT, Tulsa Baptist Temple years ago, when they sent me out, I didn't. No one cried. <laughs> In fact, they were pretty happy about that. I think they had a party. Yeah. So wow, but, but what a thrill. What a thrill to be a part of this. You know, throughout my life, um, God, through His grace, uh, has blessed me in so many ways. Uh, he's used men in my life to, to make me what I am. Um, and uh, I know that it's all been under His sovereignty. He, he had Columbia in mind uh, all through the way. But of course, that first man was, I don't want to cry here was my father. Amen. There's not time to cry. We're <laughs> short on time. Yeah. I'm sorry. He's not with us anymore. But uh, through him, God put the world here. Through him, I saw the world through the eyes of Jesus Christ. He taught me that, to love a lost world. And then through time, I, God put a man in my life by the name of Bruce Bell. He was pastoring, uh, he was a missionary in El Salvador, pastoring the church at uh, Miramonte in San Salvador. And, um, and we went there with our young people uh, three times. And I saw a different kind of missions that I had ever seen in my life and saw how God was using Bruce to reach professional people in San Salvador and how he was training men and, um, and how that church was making an impact for the Lord Jesus Christ from San Salvador all throughout that country. God used Bruce tremendously in my life. And, and then there, there was Jeff Adams. And um, Jeff came to our ministry years ago 
to the Bible says of Columbia, 10 years straight, every single year. I don't know if any other church had that, uh, that blessing to have Jeff so often. But he, God used him in my life concerning my commitment to the book. I had a commitment to the book, but not like I saw in his life. And uh, as he stayed in our homes and he spoke there at the church uh, in uh, the, the first church, Bogota, uh, that's where everything started. And uh, God used him a lot in, in that ministry. But so much in my life in the sense that I saw he was getting up at four in the morning and I'm, I'm, I thought he was sick. You know, he was in the, in the kitchen in our, our, our house reading the Word of God starting at four in the morning. So I, you know, I, I thought, no, he's just not feeling well. And, uh, and then the next morning, I, during the day was fine, but the next morning he was doing the same thing. And then the next morning, the same thing. And so I asked him, I said, you, you're feeling all right, right? I mean, I notice you're up every morning early in the Word of God. He said, yeah, that, Paul, that's just, you know, that's what God has placed on my heart to do this. And, and then I, 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 I began to realize this was his way of life. And this is the way that God worked in his life to be able to work in others' lives and how he used them in our lives. He used, God used him so much concerning refining and defining for us uh, what was discipleship. We were discipling. But he used him so much so that we would understand more what is biblical discipleship. And then another man that God has used so much in my life is Sam. And I, I thank God for you, man, for your love. I really believe that we need these kind of men in our lives. And, and especially as missionaries, we, uh, sometimes we uh, get so involved in what we're doing on the field that... Uh, and sometimes it does get lonely. But, of course, I have all these men uh, today that love me, and, and, and that's, I'm very blessed. But to have someone from my own country that, that loves me with the sincere love that he, he does, and I know it's unconditional. If I would mess up, I know he would still love me. I pray to God I won't. But uh, that's, that's gold. There's, that, that has no, there, there's no price to that. And uh, so, um, you know, uh, God and, and His mercy, His grace allows us to live so many things to make us what we need to be to be used of Him. And uh, I, I'm very blessed, starting with my father, uh, Clifford Clark, who uh, many referred to as Mr. Missions, that loved the lost world and traveled throughout the, the world preaching Jesus Christ. Um, that's what I saw from the time that, that I was born. So I have a lot of responsibility. I have a lot of responsibility. I've been given a lot, and so I need to give a lot, and I take it that way. There's no time for funny stories. Um, I had one. Scratch it. Sam, he, he's given me 15 minutes tonight. Uh, thanks, Sam. I appreciate that, all that love. No. Uh, uh, I understand. Hey, uh, lot, there's lots to do, and so we're going to have to move tonight. And so bear, bear with me, please, and pray for me. Uh, it's been incredible to be uh, studying Acts chapter 1. We're talking about from Jerusalem to the end of the world, uh, getting the gospel from our Jerusalem to the end of the world. And we ask ourselves two vital questions from the very beginning. Hey, where are we going with this? Where are we going? What direction are we going? And how are we going to get there? 
And our response to those two questions based upon the Great Commission that we find in, in the Gospels and also in our, um, our missionary manual, the book of Acts, uh, is the nations. That's where we're going. Uh, that's where we should be going. And how are we going to get there is, is by injecting the Word of God in the lives of the believers. And, and so we, we have an example of a church that lived this out. And that's what we're studying uh, in this book. And precisely in this text, verses 1 through 8. Verses 1 through 7, we, we saw um, how that Christ began to prepare the 12 for this mission. And we, see, we saw how that he showed them how to do ministry that involved basically two things, uh, doing and living, living out the Word of God and teaching it, uh, that both are necessary. We saw how that Christ, he not only showed them that that's how you, you should minister, uh, but he also showed them, he, 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 he taught them, I should say, and he chose 12, those 12 apostles, and he instructed them. He gave them all the instructions that they needed, in fact, to live out their new life in him and to fulfill with their future ministry. And then he also focused them concerning their message, their message uh, with infallible proofs he made sure that they knew that he was the risen Savior. He had rose again, and that was the message that they were to preach, a true gospel of Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. And he focused them also uh, on the mission. Uh, the mission was not at that time, uh, no, the establishing of the kingdom to Israel, but it was the kingdom of God. It included everybody, not just Jews, the Jews and the Gentiles, the salvation of mankind. And so basically that's what we saw the first night. The second night we talked about the power. You see the preparation that Christ gave them was necessary, but it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. With all that preparation, if they didn't have the power, they couldn't fulfill the commission, the mission that he was going to give them. In verse eight, the latter part of verse eight, what will be seen in fact uh, tonight. And so he promises them the Holy Ghost power, the power from the Holy Spirit. And we found out, you know, as we studied that that was a supernatural power that does the supernatural. And it's given to every disciple, every single believer, not just to the apostles in those days, but also to you and I. And that power is given to us, in fact, to fulfill the mission. It's focused on miracles. The, the biggest miracle of all, the, the, the salvation of men and women, teenagers and children. And then we also talked about this power is, to, is given to fulfill a specific mission. And that mission is the Great Commission. We're not the mission. The Holy Spirit is for us in the sense that we receive Him, He works in our life, He teaches us, He guides us, He convicts us of sin, He, he, uh, he consoles, uh, He works in us, and in Him, when, when, he is, when He fills our life, He gives us love, joy, and all of those things that we enjoy as Christians. But in the end, He has been given to us to fulfill this mission. The focus in the end is others. We're not the mission, and the mission is possible. We talked about that it is possible with this power. Um, and then also we ended up by speaking of this power fulfills a mission when it controls our lives and only when it controls our life, lives. We have, we have been endued or empowered with the Holy Spirit upon our salvation. But the key in our lives is to walk 
in, in uh, being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Every believer receives that power, like we say, to participate in the, in the mission, but every believer participates in that mission upon being filled with the Spirit. In fact, when we are filled with the Spirit, a spontaneous result of that is fruit. Fruit, much fruit, and in fact, more fruit. And John 15 speaks to us about that. Now, what we're seeing tonight is the plan. Is the plan. The plan in, in verse 8, the last part, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. In fact, let's read the entire verse, if you will, with me. It says, Jesus Christ says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for what we've lived already uh, as churches tonight. Uh, thank you, Lord, for being faithful to us uh, as you uh, have told us in your word. Uh, if we humble ourselves before you and your word and we are obedient to you and your word, uh, you will do amazing things, more than what we can ask or even think. And that's what you've done. Uh, we're, we're, we're seeing new life being birthed and that's what gives joy. And Lord, I, I thank you for the, 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 the birth of these new churches, um, what you're doing, and just pray that you'll use them in a mighty way. And Lord, there's, there's one more message that you've allowed me to, to give to the churches tonight. I can't do this without you. I need your filling. I need your Holy Spirit to guide me and use me. And I ask you that you will do so, Lord. And we commit this time in your word uh, to you so that it will, it will, it will, it will run and, and arrive to our hearts and penetrate to our hearts so that we will truly uh, be that witness for you wherever you have called us. Thank you, Lord. In, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, the plan is in the last part, in fact, of verse 8, where it says, and, in that, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And that's really what we're, we're seeing tonight. The plan. That's the third part. And the plan is to be witnesses of Christ. That's what the verse says. And ye shall be witnesses unto me. Uh, the word witness or witnesses speaks of telling others about him. Witnesses in a legal and historical sense is one who is a spectator of anything. And that was the case of the 12 apostles. They were witnesses of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we saw that, in fact, last night. Many infallible proofs. They couldn't deny it. We saw in Luke chapter 24 how he opened their understanding and reminded them of the scripture the prophecy concerning the resurrection, and he said, this is the fulfilling of that prophecy, of that scripture. Here I am alive. I have resurrected. Now that's the message that you're going to preach. You are witnesses to this fact. And notice what Peter says in, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 32. He understood who he was 
as an apostle of Jesus Christ and the others. He says, this Jesus hath God raised up whereof we are all, we all are witnesses. We all are witnesses. Notice what in, in, in chapter four, what Peter says in chapter four and, and verse 18. When the council, the Jewish council, uh, asked them not to preach in, in the name of Christ, notice what the Bible says here. In verse 18, he says, and they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which ye have seen and heard. You see, they were witnesses. They saw with their own eyes the resurrected Christ. They were witnesses. In fact, that was one of the requirements to be one of the apostles. Well, we also are witnesses. Let's look at Romans chapter 6. I say we are witnesses because that's what the Bible teaches us. You and I are also witnesses. You may say, but I wasn't there. I wasn't there after Christ was crucified, after his resurrection. I didn't see him. Notice what the, Paul says to us in Romans chapter 6 and verses 3 through 5. It says, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized in Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. We shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. The day of our salvation, we were baptized into Jesus Christ in his death burial and resurrected. The day of our salvation, we were resurrected with Christ into newness of life. In fact, he today lives within you and I. We are witnesses that he lives. I became a witness of Jesus Christ being resurrected when I was six years of age, when I asked my mother to show me the gospel to lead me to the Lord. I understood, uh, I understood what salvation was about. I listened to my father as he preached. But that Friday night, after my father, in fact, finished the message, I went to my mom and said, Mom, I, I want to accept Christ. I want to believe in him with all of my heart. I want him to be my, my Lord and Savior. And she led me to Christ. And I saw Christ that night. And I've seen him in my life every day since then. I'm a witness to a resurrected Christ. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, 20, he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, not yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is Christ in me. But you're seeing. It's not me. I don't live. It's him. Witness of Jesus Christ. Well, you know, whether we tell other people about him or not, that's what we are. This is our new vocation. Amen. The verse says in verse 8, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, 
it tells us, ye shall be witnesses. That, that, is, not, that is not conditional upon you telling others of Jesus Christ. It's not conditional upon you living this out. It's a fact. It's not a choice. You and I are witnesses of, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We, we have been buried, we have been crucified, buried and resurrected with Him. He lives within us. We are witnesses of a live Christ. But I believe with all my heart, if we truly have been saved, we will tell others. Notice what it says, the verse, in fact, that, that we read in, in Acts chapter 4, that there it is, in Acts chapter 4, where he says, Peter says, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard, for we cannot but speak. We have to tell others about this. The day after my salvation, I told my best friend, I was six years of age, I told my best friend about the resurrected Christ, and that he now lived in me. Can't help but tell that. This is what saved individuals do that are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Well, the word witnesses also speaks of someone who is dying, who dies for him. Not just tells others about him, but they die for him because the very word witness comes from, from the Greek word martus. And in the eth ethical sense, this word means those who, after Christ's example, have proved the strength and genuineness of their faith in him by undergoing a violent death. I'll read it again. Those who, after Christ's example, have proved the strength and genuineness of their faith in Him by undergoing a violent death. In fact, our word martyr comes from this word. And this became a reality in the apostles' lives as they were beaten, stoned, crucified, stretched on racks, fed to the lions, and burned. History tells us that 11 of the 12 experienced a violent death due to their faithful witness for Jesus Christ. But you know what? They were already martyrs before they arrived to that death. Before they experienced that violent death, they were already martyrs. That was their new vocation. Because the Bible says, Jesus says, ye shall be witnesses. You shall be my witness, witnesses unto me. You shall be martyrs unto me. That's who we are. That's our new calling. That's our new vocation. Well, the Apostle Paul understood this, the latter apostle, because we, we see in the book of Acts, the same book that we're studying in Acts chapter 21. I want you to look there, if you will, with me in Acts chapter 1, and notice what it says in verse 11. We know the context of chapter 21 because the disciples had told Paul, hey, the Spirit has informed us that you, don't, you should not be going to Jerusalem. 
Later, um, a prophet, Agabus, uh, confirmed, hey, this is not a good thing because they will bound you, uh, bind you, and, and, um, and, 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 and perhaps kill you. And so, so you shouldn't go to Jerusalem. It's not of God that you go. Well, no, notice, what, notice what the answer is that, that Paul gives them. It says, and when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle, this is the, the prophet Agabus, and it says, and bound his own hands and feet and said, thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Notice Paul's response. Then Paul answered, what does he say? What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to, to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, I'm not here to debate as to whether he did right in going to Jerusalem uh, or, or not. Uh, that the theologians can take care of that. But that's really not what I want to point out. That's not what I want to deal with. It's more the spirit, the attitude that the apostle Paul had. He understood that he was a witness unto the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a martyr. And in fact, if they were going to kill him in Jerusalem, that only testified to who he was. And in the end, if they would kill him, the name of the Lord would be glorified. That was his spirit at any cost to get his name out. That's what I want us to see in the scripture. In fact, if you see, notice in chapter 20 and verse 24, love the verse, Paul says, but none of these things move me, speaking of those afflictions that he experienced as he ministered. But he says, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself. He was a martyr. His life to him was no big deal. He didn't have any other agenda. That, that's what keeps us from being faithful witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ unto Him. We have our agendas. We have our, our dreams. We have our plans. We have our lives. They're dear unto us. And the Apostle Paul says, hey, my life's not dear unto me. If they bind me in Jerusalem, even if they kill me, if I die there, that goes along with my calling. I'm a martyr. A witness of Jesus Christ then is one who not only tells others about him, but they pay any price in doing so. Now, when I was preparing this, one of the first things that came to my mind is the modern day Christianity that we're seeing experiencing uh, nowadays, and how easy and comfortable and enjoyable it is. I don't know, I think it was two nights ago that I talked about how churches, we see them trying to please people instead of perfecting people, pleasing the members of the church, the believers, instead of perfecting them. 
at how Christians go to church. They choose the church according to how they feel. And they, they try to find one where they feel more comfortable. And the church that makes them more comfortable, the church that pleases them more, that's the church, that's the big church of the city. That's what we're seeing today. You know what? We're doing all we can in Colombia to combat being comfortable. In fact, because of the very circumstances of our, our ministry and where we do ministry, it's not all that comfortable. The facility that we have uh, is fairly small in Bogota. Um, and uh, we have no parking. We have no parking. And so the, uh, the people have to park, they have to you know, park along the streets. Uh, most of them can't do that because it's not secure. They're, we've had cars robbed uh, during the services. And, and so they have to go to a public park, parking uh, area and, and they pay for that while they're at church. And they many times walk any, anywhere from five to 10 blocks to get to the church after they park. <coughs> Whether it's raining or whatever, that, that's what they do. And then they get to the church and um, because it's not very large, and on Sundays, at least in Bogota, we're talking, what, I don't know, 1,200 maybe. Uh, the, the, the church, you know, it seats around 500, 500 people. We have two services. But when, when they get in, in each service, everyone's touching each other. Kind of a little bit, no, not like you guys. I see some space, okay? <laughs> you don't see space in that church. I mean, but you know what? Latins don't mind touching each other. We do. We like our space. I didn't get this when I first went to Columbia, and I'll never forget the first time I went to the bank, and uh, I got in line. And so here I am in line, and I, the stupid gringo, I'm leaving a space. Mark, why don't you come up and, and help me out with this one? Okay. I'm scared. Yeah. I'm more scared. You're big. Uh, gosh, he's big. You want someone else? The Terminator. Um, it's big. I, I don't really thing? like big people. I don't know why. <laughs> too big. It's intimidating, man. Okay, so I'm in. I'm in the bank, and I'm like a, a stupid gringo, and I'm I'm standing here, Sam. Okay, now come on up. And so then that that's what happened. <laughs> They didn't consider me an easy. I don't know what you're doing there, but easy. I'm getting in line. Okay. I'm lying. Okay. Now, so I, you know, I, they, they, they considered me not in line because I was leaving that space open. That, that was being a stupid gringo. And that took me forever because what I did was continuing to be a stupid gringo. I, when, when that person stepped in, then I stepped back. And now someone else butts in. Thank you. So after about an hour and a half in line, me backing up and people butting in, I finally got it. And so now I'm right there. All right. Thank you, guys. You know. And that's how we 
we get in line in Latin America. That's how we sit in church and just pray to God that that person beside you has bathed that morning. You pray to God for that. I've been with some that haven't. It's not comfortable. And you know what? We really don't. People say, why don't you build a bigger building? Well, our, 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 our vision in, in, in Columbia is not to build big churches. It's doing this, what you're doing, uh, you know, reproducing churches. Uh, we're not into that, but, but, but we just don't want it to, to get comfortable. We, we don't have a parking lot. We're not going to try to build a parking lot. We want them to walk. You know what? If they're not willing to walk five, ten blocks to church, they'll never be willing to go to the uttermost. Every weekend, there's approximately 80 believers that are leaving out of that church, and this is, there's other churches that live this in Colombia, not just the church in Bogota, but I think approximately 80 people every weekend that are getting on planes, getting in, their, in buses, in their cars, and they're traveling to other places throughout Colombia to teach the Word of God, to teach, preach the gospel in homes through those evangelistic Bible studies and to disciple the new believers. And I'm talking about medical doctors. I'm talking about taxi drivers that have gone through discipleship. I'm talking about business owners. I'm talking about all stratas of life. And they leave on Friday night at about 7 o'clock. Friday night, travel and began early morning, Saturday morning, teaching the Word of God to people in this, this area where we're starting to work, and, and they come back on Sunday night to be with their family before they start work on Monday. It's not comfortable, and we don't want it to be comfortable. Because if they're not willing to get on an airplane to go to Cucuta, Colombia, on the weekend, much less will they, they be willing to go to the uttermost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me just say this, and I know time is short, but I hear sometimes about short-term missions. When I come to the States, I'm hearing this more and more and more, and I'm not against mission trips, and we did it. In fact, um, uh, Smite started at Tulsa Baptist Temple years ago uh, under the leadership of Roscoe Brewer who was my youth pastor, and he took me to Mexico with other young people and, and how God used that. and, and in, in my life as, as a teenager. And, and uh, when I was youth pastor in Tulsa, I did the same thing. I took young people to Salvador, to Colombia, Guatemala, and other places. And, and these are very important things in our lives, and God uses them. He used it in my life, in fact, in my calling to Colombia. So I'm not against this. I'm not against missions trips. The only thing that I want to mention is that it's very comfortable to commit for three months or for six months, and I hear it all the time, oh yeah, we have missionaries going out to a certain country of the world. And I, I say, oh, well, tell me about it. No, they'll be there for, they've committed to six months. And I appreciate that, don't misunderstand me. The only thing that I wanna point out is that we will never fulfill the Great Commission by taking mission trips. We will, we will fulfill the Great Commission when we have some young men and women that will commit their entire life to entire nations, going with the intention of giving their life and being that witness and martyr and even dying 
on that field. That is the only way that the Great Commission is going to be accomplished. And some of those young people are here tonight that God is calling. I have no doubt in my mind. But please understand, this is not to be comfortable. It's not for a few months and then come back home. This is your life. Man, I, you know, the years that I've been in Columbia, over 30 years, and I feel like we're just getting started. What are we, months? Short term? This is a lifetime commitment. Hopefully we understand this. Well, you see, it's, it's from Jerusalem to the end of the world. It's from Jerusalem to the end of the world. That's what verse 8 teaches us. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, the last part, it says, Ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the, the earth. From Jerusalem to the end of the world. The word both is very important. In fact, I see missions in that word. Both. You say, well, hey, did you see that in the Greek or how did you get that? No, just please understand. It says in Jerusalem, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. It is, it is never the Lord's will. He, Christ never commissioned us just to reach our Jerusalem. The word both is there for a reason. There's missions with this word. That is very important. I see missions in that word. I don't know if it still exists. I don't spend a lot of time in the States, but at one time we talked about mega churches and big churches and communities and building their kingdoms. And maybe there's great intentions there. I'm not sure. Only God knows. But, but you know what? In your mission statement, in your mission statement, if, if you don't see making disciples and baptizing them, teaching all nations, if you don't see that in your mission statement, if you don't see teaching them to observe all things, if you don't see local church in your mission statement, starting churches, reproducing believers to re reproduce, to form churches, to reproduce those churches, if it doesn't coincide with Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. In fact, we could just, you know, put that verse up before our congregation and say, this is our, our mission statement. This is it. Christ gave our mission statement. I was at a church in Virginia, and the pastor's talking to him about, uh, they spent thousands of dollars to executives, successful executives in their community. They came in and helped them to establish their mission statement as a church. And what I wanted to say to him, hey, man, you could have saved yourself them, those bucks by just reading the Bible. We've got the mission statement. It's right there. It's very clear. But it's not just to get to our Jerusalem. It's not just to reach our community. It's both. We don't want to miss that. Well, this is our, our mission statement. We're reading in Acts chapter 1. And you know what? What we see in this verse is that it was a gradual process. 
in my lifetime, I've heard some preach this text saying that both means at the same time. And I, I don't really see that. In fact, in our, our Spanish translation, uh, we don't have the word both. Uh, we have the word in before each of these words, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. But, but what we do see is it was a gradual process. That's what Christ is teaching us, and this is what the, the, the church of Jerusalem lived out. And, and I say that because what we see in the, the book of Acts is that Acts chapter 1 verse 7, we see the gospel preached in Jerusalem, and then in Acts chapter 8 through 12, we see the gospel extended to Judea and Samaria, and then Acts 13 through 28, we see the gospel spread throughout the world. It was a process. Uh, it wasn't like immediately at once the Jerusalem church was able to impact the world. They went through a process, and this is the process that they went through. The gospel began there, and it was extended out from there, and that's what Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 is teaching us. But it started in Jerusalem. It started in Jerusalem. That's where missions has to begin. It has to start at home. You have your Jerusalem. For some of you, it's, it's Kansas City. For, for, for us, it's Bogota. Um, from wherever you live, that's your Jerusalem. We have our starting point. And the idea is to form a strong missionary base that is capable of extending the gospel out to our Judeas, to our Samarias, and, in, and finally to the ends of the, the earth, the uttermost. Now, this is what happened in the book, in, in the church of Jerusalem, I should say. We saw this some, somewhat last night, Acts chapter 2 and verse 47. We read about how that the favor of, of the, the people in this church, it, it, it teaches us that, that um, you know, through the, that grace of God being manifested in and through their lives, that the Lord added to the church daily as should be saved. And, and then we also notice in Acts chapter 4 uh, and verse 4, it speaks of, of 5,000 uh, men that came to Christ. They believed in Him. And then we see in, in Acts chapter, chapter 6 and verse 7 that uh, the disciples were multiplied. Well, one thing that we see, one thing that we see in Acts chapter 5, if you'll look there with me in verse 28, it's, it says, saying, did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Fill Jerusalem with your doctrine. And believe me, that was the doctrine of Jesus Christ, the gospel message. That's what Jerusalem heard. They evangelized their Jerusalem, without a doubt. Some suggest that the church uh, grew to 30,000 people. We don't know for sure, but that is a good possibility. What we do know that a strong missionary base was formed there. And please note, what happened in Acts chapter 13 through 28, the gospel being spread throughout the world was a result of the missionary foundation that was, that was established in Acts 1 through 7. That strong missionary base was formed. 
The end result was getting the gospel to the entire world. Well, please note that these believers in Jerusalem, they were already being faithful witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ in their Jerusalem. That's why God could entrust them to more territory, their Judea and Samaria. And this is really important because sometimes, you know, I see Christians get all excited about their short-term mission trip. And, um, and they go to that country, wherever that may be, and they witness, and, and they're so thrilled to see how God can use them there. And then they come back to their Jerusalem and they don't share Christ with anybody. Missions has to begin here. It has to begin in our Jerusalem. That's the example that the believers in the Jerusalem church give us. They evangelized their, their Jerusalem. The doctrine, the city was filled with their doctrine. And that's why that the Lord could entrust to them more territory. We must be faithful in our Jerusalem. Well, Oswald Smith, a man that had a tremendous, tremendous impact on the life of my father. The pastor of People's Church in Ontario, Canada years ago. He used to say when he would come to Tulsa Baptist Temple, he would say the light that shines the furthest shines the brightest at home. You know, we're working real hard in Colombia and every single lo local church that is established to, strong a, to form a strong local base of believers that are faithful in being witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. We are, we are working very hard at, at establishing churches that, that become missionary churches, that strong local base in every city so we can do missions, so that we can extend the gospel out from there. And we believe with all of our hearts, and we've talked about this each evening, we believe with all of our hearts that that is done through biblical discipleship, through the preaching of the Word, word of God, expository preaching, and through biblical discipleship. Because we're looking in the end for good soldiers of Jesus Christ that are going to be a part of our missionary team to get the gospel out. That's all we're looking for in every single church that we're establishing. Because we see it in the scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let's turn there, if you will, and look this text up. up and, and I want us to read verses 2 through 4. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. Paul says to Timothy, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore, Paul says to Timothy, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Basically he's saying, keep in mind, Timothy, you're already a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're, you're a martyr. In Jesus Christ, you're now a witness, a martyr. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Remember what Paul said about his life. He didn't count it dear unto himself, that he may please him who hath chosen him 
to be a soldier. You know, this is what we all ought to be looking for as we disciple people. That's for sure what we're looking for in Colombia, South America, now with a new work in Caracas, a new work is being started in Lima, Peru, and soon in Madrid, Spain. That's what we're going to be looking for. And that is accomplished through biblical discipleship. We want to fill the churches up with good soldiers. We're already a soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been drafted into His army. That's what the Bible teaches us. The issue is, what kind of soldier are we? That is the issue. And the Bible teaches us, at least some of the characteristics of a good soldier, is one that endures hardness. He's not looking for the comfortable Christian life, but he, he understands he's a martyr. He wants to live that out. Whatever that means, he's not going to just tell people about Christ. He's going to die for that cause if that's, that be necessary because he doesn't hold his life dear unto him and to her. And this is really important because, you know, we do discipleship. A lot of times it's how we do it. And I'm not going to, you know, you have to do it like we do it. God has to guide each church. I understand this. But let me just share with you something of, of how we do it. Uh, once someone is, is, is saved, they go through an induction class. That's about six, seven weeks. Very basic stuff. Obviously, we confirm their salvation, talk to them about baptism, a little bit about the church, the Word of God, and a few other things. Then those that are baptized, as they understand now that that is God's will for their life upon being saved, those that are obedient in their baptism are the ones that we begin to disciple. And, and we use, first of all, uh, 13 lessons that were written by uh, a Columbia and uh, in our ministry there. And, and uh, those are very elementary, basic things, always thinking of uh, someone coming out of a Catholicism. And, and so we take them through that. And if they're faithful in attending, and if they're faithful observing, gradually with that spirit and attitude of observing, keeping, holding fast in their life those truths, then they pass on to what is the 16 lessons um, that many of you have seen, in fact, that uh, Greg Axe, uh, is what I understand, was the, the one that God used to put these lessons together. We'll, we're still using them, and I don't know where Greg's at, but thank you so much. You'll never know how God has used them and how He is using them in the country of Colombia uh, to make good soldiers. And so the people go through that. Um, and, and if they're faithful and they observe, we're ta not talking perfection here, we're talking about a believer that looks at the Word of God and says, this book is my new normal. My new life in Christ, I'm going to live it according to this book. Th I want this to be my new normal. This is it. So they begin to observe, and it's an attitude, it's a spirit, it, it's being teachable. It's being humble before the Lord and the Word of God. It's fearing God. It's saying, God, you know I don't. Work in my life. 
I want to be conformed to the image of the Son of, uh, of God, I'm, uh, to your Son. And I want to be one of those good soldiers. That's what we're looking. And, and if they're faithful in those 16, then they take an evangelism course. If they're faithful there, then they go to level two of discipleship. And if they're faithful there and we see that God uh, has a calling upon their life uh, for ministry, uh, we invite them into the leadership school as by invitation. You say, that's really strict. We're not, we're not just get, giving information, Bible knowledge, so that they look good and, we, and to know more, we want them to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ because what is at stake here are the nations of the world. And sometimes we don't get this. You say, well, that's pretty cruel. You know what? I don't know how many guys I've discipled throughout the years, and, and sometimes I've had to say to, to the guy that I'm discipling, you know what, man, I love you, and I've, I've given you my, my time and my life, my energy. I've given you the word, but I see that you're not ready for this commitment at any level. I see that you're not ready for this. And so what I want you to do is I want you to just seek God. I want you to look to Him. I want you with a sincere heart. I want you to, to, to ask God to, to work in your heart concerning this book and observing it. And whenever you're ready, let me know and we'll pick this back up again. That's how we disciple people. And I've had guys come back to me a year later with an incredible heart concerning their obedience to God. And in fact, some of them are leaders today. It took them a year to get it, to understand that it's more than being saved. It's more than having Christ. It's following Christ all the way to the nations. And I want to be a part of that. So that's how we do it. You don't have to do it that way. But the goal is good soldiers. That's how we'll get to the nations. We'll never get to the nations with unfaithful believers. In all Judea and Samaria, that's what the verse says, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. Both, not just in Jerusalem. But once that foundation is laid at home in our Jerusalem, I believe the rest will come. I believe that congregation will get to the nations of the world. In fact, that's what Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is telling us. Jesus is saying this is what's going to happen. Jerusalem, and then the gospel is extended out to Judea and Samaria. And that's exactly what happened uh, with these believers in the church of Jerusalem. Notice in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. You know, Jesus Christ gives this, these believers uh, the Great Commission, the apostles, the disciples, those first disciples, uh, the Great Commission in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Uh, they were struggling uh, somewhat in understanding it and, and, and fulfilling it. And so now he gives them Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. And that persecution that he allowed to, to, to get them, you know, spread out. And the Bible says in verse 1, and Saul was consenting unto his death. 
And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. We talked about this two nights ago. And those that were spread out were the very believers of this congregation in Jerusalem. It wasn't the apostles. And what did they do? The verse, verse 4 says, therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the Word. Now let's go to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 and verse 31. Acts chapter 9 and verse 31. Where the Bible says, then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy, Holy Ghost were multiplied. Now we're, we're speaking of churches. Can you imagine churches being formed by the members, the believers of the church of Jerusalem? That's how these churches sprung up as a result of their Christian witness, their testimony, them being witnesses, martyrs for the Lord Jesus Christ, giving their life to this cause. Now we've got churches, not a church, in Judea, in Samaria, in Galilee. That's what the Bible teaches us. Now what we have is a team of churches. First of all, the believers were multiplied in Jerusalem. Now we've got churches being multiplied. multiplied. Now the missionary base is increasing. It's not just believers of one congregation. Now we've got believers in numerous congregations. Now we have a team of churches to go to the uttermost. And this is, this is so beautiful what you're living as a church. And churches, as you are reproducing yourselves in other churches. My father always said, local churches are born to reproduce themselves. That's why they're born. And I do wanna say something about the local church here because the Great Commission can only be fulfilled through the local church. And I'm not against Christian organizations, don't misunderstand me, but, but God's plan to fulfill His commission is through the local church. In fact, it's the only place that it can be fulfilled because the commission is to make disciples and then baptize them. That's one of the ordinances of the church. And then, then we saw last night about you know, how that the pastors and the teachers are to perfect the saints. That's within the context of the local church in Ephesians chapter 4, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body. You could only fulfill the Great Commission through the local church. That's God's will. That's His plan. But the idea here is to increase, to grow, to expand the missionary base by planting churches. And that's what's happening in, the, in fellowship, the fellowship of your churches. You with your sister churches, that's what you're doing. And that's what we're doing in Colombia. It's a little bit different, perhaps, in some ways. I know that some, um, some of the, the churches of your fellowship are your daughter churches. Some are sister churches. In our case, they're all daughter churches. It's fine. But, but the goal is the same. Our mission that God has given to us in Colombia, it's stated like this, to establish a model church in every single 
capital of Colombia, there's 32, forming a missionary base to evangelize Colombia and the nations of the world. And the, the idea is very simple. It's to reproduce ourselves corporately. Each church reproducing more churches, and those churches form part of the missionary team to get the gospel out. That's what we see in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and that's what the church of Jerusalem lives out and, and exemplifies for us. It's such a beautiful thing to come here and see you working as a team to get the gospel out. What a beautiful thing this is. What a beautiful thing for us in Colombia to live out our, our missions conference and see this past year over 400 believers from all the different you know, works throughout Colombia. And of course, these are some of the people that are able to make that trip and spend that week with us at the missions conference. Everyone can't come. But as they come from all over Colombia, and this year we had uh, some from Lima, Peru, and from Caracas, Venezuela, and, and how we come together and, and, and we talk about Colombia for Christ. Colombia for Christ being, hey, let's work together as a team so that all Colombians can hear about Jesus Christ at least one time, a clear presentation of the gospel, and so that we, from this platform of churches, we can get to the uttermost. We're talking the very same thing that you're talking. And because of time, here we are, and at the uttermost part of the earth. That's what Acts chapter 1 and verse, verse 8 says. To the furthest spot, the last corner from where you live, from your Jerusalem, you can, this may be some good homework for you, uh, look on the map and find out what the furthest spot is in the world from you. That, that nation, that people group that lives the furthest from you. When you've arrived there with the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can chill. <laughs> Until then, this is total commitment. It's being martyrs, witnesses of Jesus Christ. But that's the great commission that we're, that we're receiving from Christ in this verse. Wow. At what time, what was 12 followers here in this church in Jerusalem? Now we're talking about thousands. We're talking about these disciples in the primitive church impacting the world for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Acts chapter 17 and verse 6 teaches us because it teaches us that they turn the world upside down for Christ. My dad said, if the arms of your church do not reach around the entire world, they're too short. What I'm getting from you in these few days that I'm with you, you want long stretched out arms that just hug the entire world in Jesus Christ. And you know what, as we're discipled, I think our arms get longer and longer. Our spiritual vision gets clearer. We begin to see more and more of what Christ has seen and why he died on the cross, and why he rose again, and why we are witnesses of him. I think that's what happens in our lives. I know that's what happens. But man, we're just starting in Colombia. Venezuela, Peru, Spain, we're just getting started. I think that's where you're at. But we want long arms.
and we're preparing our people so that we can reach around the entire world. Father, we thank you for what you have done for us in these three nights with your word. We do understand, Lord, that we're just beginning. But Lord, the beginning has been incredible because you've been faithful in giving us so many disciples in each of our ministries. To these congregations and to us in Columbia, thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. But we understand that we're just getting started. Lord, I'm praying tonight specifically for laborers, for young couples and perhaps couples that are not that young that will say to you tonight, Lord, here is my life. I do not count my life dear. I am already a witness unto Jesus Christ. That's my new vocation. I am a martyr for the Lord Jesus Christ. But Lord, I want you to, to use this witness, my life, for your cause at any cost. And if you have for me a nation in this world, a people in this world that need to be loved, that needs, that needs to have your arms wrapped around them through me, I'm willing to go. I pray that tonight, Lord, and I pray that we will listen to you and that we will obey you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.